Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abraham, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you. We adore you, Father. I thank you for uh, this Shabbat, this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha, as family, to worship before you, to encounter you face to face, and to receive from you as you breathe into our lives in this place today. Father, I pray that you will boldly speak into our hearts and our lives, that nothing of me will be uh, 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 involved in this message except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I praise you that you are a God who does interact with your creation, who does speak into our lives, and who is continually breathing your breath of life into our lungs. I pray that you will awaken us today, today to your spiritual realities, to what you have in store, and to what you desire for us to do going forth from this place. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this week we read Parsha Vaychanan, um, and if you look at the slide, the, the graphic for the Parsha that we put together says the Ten Commandments Round 2, because this week we reread the Aserat Hadibrot, the Ten Words of the Ten Commandments that were given in Exodus 20. They are reiterated in Deuteronomy 5 in this week's Parsha. Um, and as we look at them, we recognize that there's a, a couple little things uh, that are different in uh, Exodus 20. It says to... Uh, Observe or keep the the commands and, or the the Shabbat and Exodus uh, in Deuteronomy five it says to uh, to Shemar to guard the uh, the Shabbat so we see little variance in the way that it's, it's spoken but we got to remember who it's being spoken to this time right Deuteronomy uh, most of you are used to hearing me uh, call it the book that should have never been the whole reason why we have the book of Deuteronomy is because we refused to go into the promised land in the first place and it took us forty years to get back around again to uh, actually standing at the shores of the Jordan and the second generation of Israel prepared to take the promises of God. And so here in Deuteronomy, uh, we see that Moses is taking these last couple of weeks of his life to reiterate to the second generation of the reality of God's word, of his desire for his people, of the promises that he has made, of the blessings and curses of upholding our end of the covenant, and so on and so forth. We see him reiterating some really uh, amazing realities that far too often most believers in reading the Tanakh of the Old Testament don't see when they read the Old Testament, right? So most believers look at the Tanakh of the Old Testament, they go, oh, well, that's a God of vengeance and anger and judgment and, and uh, a God who just is, is rules and regulations, whereas the God of the New Testament is so suddenly like he's got two different faces. It's uh, uh, Two-Face from the comics or uh, what's his name the, the, that, uh, you know, is constantly flipping around and has different perspectives and personas. Like he's all of a sudden got an entirely different personality here. Matthew 1 rolls around and he just flips the switch and he's, the loving and generous and gracious God and, and whatever, right? But the reality is, is we serve one God, and he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, yeah? And as we read through the scriptures, if we see something that appears to be a contradiction between the Tanakh and the Baruch Hashar, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that contradiction only is present because we're reading it from the wrong lens, or we're reading it out of context, 
We're not reading it as God intended for it to be read. And so the only way we can come to a understanding that the God of the Old Testament, quote-unquote, is a vengeful, vindictive, angry, judgmental God of rules and regulations is if we ignore the fact that grace has existed since before the foundations of creation itself. That mercy has existed since before the foundations of creation itself. That the plan of redemption and salvation in Messiah Yeshua has existed since before the foundations of creation itself. God's only ever had one plan. He didn't create Adam and Eve and realize they mucked it all up and went, oh, go back to the drawing board and figure this out real quick. He knew what Adam and Eve were going to do long before he ever breathed the breath of life into them. And yet he created us anyways. And so when we look here in uh, Deuteronomy, in the book that should have never been, we recognize the same reality rings true with the second generation of the nation of Israel. God was well aware when he called Moses out to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promises of God that it was going to take another 40 years for them to actually get there. He was well aware that this first generation who came out of slavery in Egypt, who only knew Egypt providing for their needs, was going to struggle in the wilderness. But the second generation, who's preparing to go into the promised land, who has only ever known a divine provision for their needs, has only ever experienced the miraculous, has a far easier chance of recognizing the promises of God as ringing true and being willing to walk in them and take them. So we go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 the, uh, in this week's Parsha. Uh, it says, verse 1, Now, o Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching to do, so that you may live and go in and possess the land that Adonai, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add to the word that I am commanding you or take away from it in order to keep the mitzvot of Adonai, the commands of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you. Your eyes have seen what Adonai did at Baal Peor, for Adonai, your God, has destroyed from among you everyone who followed Baal Peor. But... You who held tight to Adonai, your God, uh, your uh, to uh, you who held tight to Adonai, your God, are alive today. All of you. We skip down to verse seven. For what great nation is there that has God so near to them as Adonai, our God, is whenever we call on Him? What great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances that are righteous like all of this Torah that I am setting before you today? Reminds me of Elijah as he's dealing with the worshipers of Baal, the prophets of Baal. And he says, okay, look, you guys think that you serve uh, a real God. How about we each make sacrifices to our God? He's speaking to Israelites who serve Baal, who serve this false God, who believe and worship this false God. And he says, how about you make sacrifices to Baal? I'll make sacrifice to Adonai, and we'll see which one actually accepts the sacrifice. And so he makes the sacrifice to Adonai, and the all-consuming fire of God comes down and consumes the sacrifice itself that he's now drenched in water and poured water all around, and it's absolutely impossible physically for this fire to ignite, and yet here comes this divine fire from heaven that consumes the, the, the sacrifice. But when the, the servants of Baal, the prophets of Baal, tried to uh, make their sacrifice, they cried out to heaven for Baal to do something, and he didn't do anything at all. And Elijah cries out, what, is your God in the bathroom? Did he miss the memo? Did he not understand what's going on? Maybe your God isn't listening. Scream a little louder. Moses here is saying, for what great nation is there that has God so near to them as Adonai our God uh, is whenever we call on him. Verse 9, only be watchful and watch over your soul closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they slip from your heart all the days of your life. 
You are to make them known to your children and your children's children. The day that you stood before Adonai, your God, in Horeb, uh, Adonai said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will make them hear my words so that they learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth and so that they teach their children. Verse 15, so be very watchful over your soul since you sold no form on the day that Adonai spoke to you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. And he goes on to talk about not creating idols to worship, uh, idols, uh, images of anything that may exist in heaven or on earth uh, for the purpose of worshiping, it, worshiping them. Uh, and then in verse 1 of chapter 5, we skip forward again, chapter 5, verse 1. This is right before the uh, utterance of the Astar Hadibrot, the, the ten words or the ten commandments. As Moses called to all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances that I am speaking in your hearing today. Learn them and make sure to do them. Adonai, your God, cut a covenant with us at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Not with our fathers has Adonai cut this covenant, but with us. All of us alive here today. And as we read later in Deuteronomy, uh, in the blessings and curses, Moses expands that concept. He says, he didn't just make this covenant with our forefathers who stood at Mount Sinai. He didn't just make this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't just make this covenant with you and I standing here today, but he made this covenant with every person who will come after us, who is a part of the people of God. In verse 4, he says, Adonai spoke with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. It's really under, uh, important that we understand that we serve a personal God. Right? So when we look at this God of the Old Testament juxtaposed against the God of the New Testament, we see that the God of the Old Testament can't be personal because a God that's personal and loving and gracious and caring isn't a God that's judgmental and vengeful and angry. But the God of the New Testament, he's, just, he's, he's very personal. He's, he's inside of us and he interacts with us and he speaks to us and he, and he forgives us and he loves us. But the body of Messiah as a whole, we have to wake up to the reality that that is one God. And he is just as merciful and loving in the Tanakh as he is in the Brachadashah. And he's just as merciful and loving when Israel refused to take the, promises, the promised land in numbers as he is when you and I have refused to walk in his promises today. He doesn't change. Just because we fail doesn't mean he does. And he reminds us over and over and over again through Moses, just in this Parsha alone, remember that God is near to you. Remember that God is close, that God will answer when you speak to him. What other nation has gods that will interact with them, that will answer, that will be there for them when they call? None. And Moses says here, you have experienced him. You have heard him. You have seen his might, his power. You have seen his presence. Trust in him. Believe in him. The second generation of the nation of Israel standing at the shores of the Jordan River prepared to cross over and take the promises of God as theirs has only ever known God's divine provision. They've only ever known the miracles of wandering in the wilderness on shoes that don't wear out and clothing that doesn't fall apart. Waking up every morning and walking out the tent and seeing grain or, or the, the, the manhu, the, the manna on the ground ready to pick it up and, and make whatever they need to eat from. Whereas their forefathers constantly said, Moses, just take us back to Egypt. At least they gave us food. This first, the second generation only ever knew God's provision. Then we move in Deuteronomy 5 into the, the reiteration of the 10 words of the 10 commandments. And as we look at this, anybody ever looked at like 
artistic renditions of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. You know, you got five on one tablet and five on the other. You ever paid attention to the way that these things are aligned? It's really interesting because one of the, the most common perceptions of the, the Ten Commandments, one of the most common perceptions of the way that they are designed on these tablets is that uh, there's the, you know, we always hear people talk about the vertical relationship, horizontal relationship, right? There's uh, the, the one side of the tablets deals with how we interact with God and the other side deals with how we interact with people. And to some degree, there's truth there. But even more so is each of these commandments standing side by side on the tablets are very important because they all deal specifically with our relationship with God. And they correlate perfectly. So the first commandment is, you shall have no other God before me or besides me, right? And then the sixth commandment is, you shall not kill. Why shall we not kill? Because each of us created, are created in the image and likeness of God. And if we kill somebody, if we commit murder, which is actually what the Hebrew word says, thou shall not murder, not thou shall not kill. But uh, if we murder somebody, we are actually destroying a part of the image and likeness of God. We are putting ourselves in the place of an idol in place of Adonai when we do things like this. And as we go through all of this, we see each one of these relates. Number two, thou, uh, you shall have no, uh, make no graven image. Uh, you shall not commit adultery is number seven. Number three, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And number, uh, number nine, uh, number eight, seven, eight, I'm missing my count on the, the other side uh you shall not steal uh number four remember the sabbath day to keep it holy number uh which by the way everybody ignores but you know it's a different story number nine you shall not bear false witness you shall not lie against your neighbor number five is honor your father and mother number 10 shall not com uh you shall not covet right and as we look at these each of these they correlate with one another from number one to number uh, six and from number two to number seven, from number three to number eight, from number four to number nine, from number five to number ten. They correlate and they all deal with our relationship with God and how that should flow into our relationship with others. So when we see you shall, uh, you shall not make a graven image and then he says you shall not commit adultery. The Lord says over and over and over again in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, that when we serve other gods, when we uh, fall prey to idolatry, that we're committing adultery against them. He has Hosea, the prophet of Israel, go and marry a prostitute, right? Tells him, go marry this prostitute. He marries her. He has a couple of kids with her, and she runs away back to prostitution again. And the Lord says, uh, go get your wife again. Keep her as your wife. And I imagine that Hosea's like, dude, Dude, seriously? Like, first time around, you know what? I could deal with it, whatever. You want me to take her back? Seriously? And he goes and he gets her and he brings her back. And, uh, and he, you know, his wife, he treats her his wife. He loves her. And the Lord says, I want you to understand the way you feel right now as your wife left you to go serve, to go serve in prostitution. And then you bring her back in mercy again. The way you feel right now is how I feel every time the nation of Israel goes off to serve Baal or any other false god of the nations around them and prostitutes themselves in idolatry and then I bring them back to me. This week's Haftarah from uh, Isaiah 40. This is uh, what we call uh, Shabbat Nachamu. We're in the middle of the seven weeks of Isaiah, the seven messages of consolation between Tishba'av uh, and leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Tishba'av when the temple was destroyed not once but twice 
both times were destroyed because of our sins. But as we deal with this mourning of the destruction of the temple and the reminder of our sins causing us to occur in the middle of this period of time leading up to the season of redemption and repentance with the, uh, the, the ten days of awe from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we lead up to this with the seven messages of consolation out of Isaiah in which the Lord is constantly saying, look, all these really terrible things have happened because of your sins, but I'm going to bring you back into myself. I'm going to bring you back to me again. And this week's Parsha, Nachamu, uh, 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 from Isaiah, for Shabbat Nachamu, says, Comfort, comfort my people. Uh, says Adonai, says your God, uh, speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. It sounds like grace and mercy to me. For she has received from Adonai's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low the rough ground will be plain a plain uh, and the rugged terrain smooth the glory of Adonai will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of Adonai has spoken skipping to verse 9 get yourself up on a high mountain you who bring good news to Zion lift up your voice with strength you who bring good news to Jerusalem lift up do not fear say to the cities of Judah behold your God it's important for us to understand that the book of Isaiah although is slapped full of the Lord saying, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple. I'm going to rid the land of you and of your, your, your sin and everything that goes with it. It is also continually uh, over and over again, the word of Isaiah is, but I'm just going to bring you back. If you just come back to me in repentance, if you just repent, I will restore you. And everything I said that's going to happen bad, I'm going to take it away and it won't happen because I just want you to come back to me. We've got to understand, as we see in this week's Torah Parsha, that God says over and over again, teach your children, your children's children, the door of the door from generation to generation. We are to make sure that this idea of the loving is, is preeminent in our uh, uh, children's minds and our lives and how we live and how we relate to Adonai. And so when we look at this and he says over and over again, I'm going to bring you back to me. He's not speaking just to the nation of Israel of old. He's not just speaking to the Jewish people, but he's speaking to each and every person that breathes the breath of life that is created in the image and likeness of the Lord. That he wants to draw us back unto him. He wants to bring us back into his loving embrace. It is nothing new. It is nothing that is random and, and arbitrary and thrown out there. And the reason he wants us to go from Lador Vador, from generation to generation of this concept, is because of the fact that it's in teaching our children how to walk in his ways and how to love him, and them witnessing, especially as believers, them witnessing the reality of the presence of God in our lives, the reality of the salvation that comes through Yeshua Mashiach, the reality of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit working in and through us, and seeing that firsthand, that they will be able to trust in what God can do in their lives when it's time for them to make a decision. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is the Shema. This is what Yeshua says is uh, the most important commandment. And he says, Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai, Ohen, Adonai, Echad. Love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today are to be on your heart. You are to teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. And as we look through the Shema and the Hafta, what we realize is, is that what God is saying is I want you to constantly place reminders in your life. 
And so today in Judaism, we wear, uh, we wrap tefillin when we're praying, right? We wrap the, the, the leather straps around our arms with the box that has the, the, uh, the, these verses and a few others in it. And we have the, the, the tefillin on our forehead, and we literally interact with the idea that God says to, let it, uh, to bind it upon your arm and have it as a front between your eyes. And we interact with that in our prayers. And we make sure to recognize what's going on. He says to put it upon your doorpost and your gates. And so we have a mezuzah on the doors of our homes. Uh, or if you're Sean, you have a really nifty gate at the entrance of your driveway. He's got one on there too. Uh, kind of tempted to build one just to put it up there because I saw his. But when we look at this, he says, I want you to put it before your face at all times. And I want you to understand something, although I love tefillin. I love the idea. I love interacting with it. I love what it, what it represents. I don't think it's the fullness of what God had truly intended doesn't mean we shouldn't do it it's great it's important let's do it let's live by it because it's powerful and it's an, an amazing image but when God says to have it bound on your arm and have it before your eyes or on your forehead I believe what he's talking about is being in the word of God because when we hold the Bible that is on our forearm when we're in it it's before our eyes so that's great that you can wrap to fill in but do you live in his word all the time And so when he says to do this, I think it's really important that we understand that he's got a deeper concept here. And he says to teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you arise. The first thing you think of and say when you wake up and the last thing you think of and say when you go to sleep should be the Lord. It should be our relationship with him. It should be his word. Our children should live by it because they hear us not just talking about it, but living by it ourselves so that it is carried on the door of the door. And then as we backtrack again to verse uh, 5, uh, the, the love of God and I, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. One of the things I love about this is if we dive into the Hebrew, it seems to go just a little bit deeper, right? So we say it every, every Shabbat in our service. We say it in our prayers every day. Uh, but it says, Anybody want to say that three times fast? It says, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart. That word lev, heart. It's really interesting because although it literally means heart, it goes even deeper than that because it talks about the, the force that pushes the blood through the body. And that's what the heart really is. So when he says, I want you to love me with all your heart, I truly believe because the heart controls. It's not some emotional thing. It's not something that interacts with our emotions like we think that's all mental, that's all chemical, that's all whatever. The heart has a specific function, and we romanticize it. But its function is to push blood through the body, right? And what is the Word of God, what does the Torah specifically say that the blood is? It's a life force. So he says, I want you to love me with your heart. I want you to love me with your very life force itself. And then he says, I want you to love me with your nafshecha, your nefesh, your soul. But the word nefesh literally means the throat. What does our throat control? It controls our ability to breathe. Where does our breath come from? It comes from the Lord. It is the breath of life that flows into our lungs. It says, I want you to love me with your very life force. I want you to love me with your very breath itself, which comes directly from me. And then meldecha. Meld means much or more. We translate it as strength or might or power. But it's even bigger than that. He says, I want you to love me with your very life force itself. I want you to love me with your very breath itself. Your breath that comes from me. But even more so, I want you to love me with your meldecha, with your everything else. With your might, with your power, with your strength, with your much, 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 much more. I want you to love me with every ounce of your being. And in that love, you will then teach it diligently to your children. You will then speak of it when you walk by the way, 
when you're in the house, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will then make his word a forefront before your eyes at all times. We see Yeshua says that this is the most important commandment. And likewise, love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19.18. In other words, we look at the tablets again, right? And we talk about how people perceive there being a vertical and horizontal narrative there. And the same is true when we look at Yeshua's description of the most important commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's through our love and receiving of love of the Lord that we can love and receive love of our neighbors. And trust me, sometimes, and it's not talking like the person who lives next door to you, it's talking to all of the people around you, all of humanity. And, 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 and trust me, if I can be perfectly honest with you, there are some people in this world that it takes a lot more of me receiving God's love to share that with other people than there are uh, some, right? And so sometimes you got to really kind of deal with what, uh, what the, the Brach says when he says to, to patiently put up with each other. Okay, I will try my hardest. Uh, but he says to love your neighbor as yourself is the second most important command. And the reality is, is both of those flow distinctly and specifically through our love and reception of God's love in our lives every single day. We cannot love our neighbors as ourselves if we don't understand how to walk in the true nature of the divine love. And if you don't believe me, look at the world around us. Look at the fact that nobody loves anyone else. Which is exactly what Yeshua said would happen in the end. That hearts would turn cold to one another. That what we thought what we think is good is really bad, and what we think is bad is really good. And when we look at the world around us, that's exactly what's happening. We're just making the game up as we go. Whatever we want to do, that's what's good. That's what we're supposed to do. Just whatever. It doesn't matter. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But my word tells me there's only one truth. And we either believe in it and walk in it or we don't. We can't continue to water it down and to make it up as we go. And what we see here over and over and over again in this Parsha is Moses is reminding the second generation that we serve a God who is intentionally personal with his creation, who is intentionally personal with his covenant relationships. And I talked about this earlier when we were in prayer before service, the reality that in spite of the fact that we don't necessarily uphold our end of the covenant, God never leaves or forsakes his end. Ever. Which is why we can so readily and dependently trust that when we do make Teshuvah, when we do turn back around again to him, that he is there with his arms wide open, ready to receive us, ready to forgive us, ready to love us. Because he never stopped loving us in the first place. We make these false notion of this dichotomy of the old versus the new while at the same time constantly saying that God is the same yesterday today and forever we can't have it both ways just like we can't have it both ways when we talk about how we want to see Messiah return soon but we should pray against all these really bad things that have to happen first we can't talk uh, out of both sides of our faces we have to decide either we're on board with what God has in store or we're not we either want Mashiach to return or we don't. But we can't have it both ways. I love as we dig through 
parsha of Echanan, that the overwhelming message is of a personal, loving, interactive God who wants us to continually reveal that relationship and that love with each and every generation that follows. In case you're not paying attention, red alerts are going off like crazy right now. Rockets being launched into Israel, as was happening last night as well. Uh, so be praying for uh, the nation of Israel. Be praying for those that are dealing with these attacks right now. And in spite of maybe what is natural for us to try to do or want to do, we need to equally be praying. And again, back to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to also be praying for those that are perpetrating these attacks to come to know the reality of the salvation that is only found in the promised Jewish Messiah so that these attacks can stop because it's only in Messiah that we can truly understand the love of God, that we can truly love Him, and that we can truly relate that love to our neighbor. A lot of times we look at uh, Israel and everything that's going on there, and literally these alerts just started going off a few seconds ago. This was not at all intentional in my message, but sometimes you just got to flow with what's happening. Um, we look at Israel and uh, the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and far too often, I think, as believers, we focus on let's pray for Israel, which we should. We have a divine obligation to support the Jewish people. If you don't believe me, go read the Bible. Our Messiah, whether you're Jewish or not, your Messiah is Jewish. Whether you're Jewish or not, the disciples that he taught how to live his life out in the fullest were all Jewish. And everything that you and I believe was fed through a lineage of Jewish people. And he says, in this Parsha, he will never forsake his covenant with Israel. And he says over and over and over again in the Torah and in the, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, the prophets and the writings, he will never forsake his covenant with Israel. And Matthew didn't change that. And Luke didn't change that. And Acts didn't change that. Paul couldn't have changed it. If we read something we perceive as a contradiction, it's not really. We've just got to learn to actually read his word for what he says, not for what we take into it. And it's important that we understand that we have a divine obligation to pray for the Jewish people, not just for their safety either, but for my people's salvation. But in the same sense, we have a divine obligation to pray for the people on the other side of the line in Gaza. Not just for them to wake up and stop attacking Israel, which we should be praying for, but for them to have a mighty and powerful divine encounter with the Messiah of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the Messiah of Israel, to come to know his salvation. Because we can't say that as believers, we love our neighbor as ourselves if that's only the neighbors that are nice to us. We've got to also love our enemies. God says vengeance is his. It's not ours. How about we just let him do his thing? He's pretty good at it. Let's get out of his way. Let's let him work. And in the meantime, let's truly desire to see salvation, not just of our friends and family, not just of those around us, not just of those that we work with, not just of those that we come into contact with or those that we like but of all of God's creation because he didn't create Jew and Gentile. 
He called the Jewish people out to be a light to the nations, but he created one people. He created Adam and Eve. And it is in the reality of Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, that we see the fullness of the image and likeness of God revealed. We see it all the time in our synagogue. We see it all the time in the Messianic Jewish movement. It's important that we understand that we have the same divine obligation to pray for Israel and the Jewish people as we do for the Palestinians and any other enemy of God's people. And it's not just pray that they stay away. Rabbi, is there a prayer blessing for the czar? May he stay far, far away from us. No. Fiddler on the Roof reference, if you didn't get it. We should pray that they come close, close to Messiah. We are, I'll say this in closing, we are, I believe, at the very least, in the beginning of the end of days. I think we may be a little deeper than that. But at the very least, in the beginning of the end of days. If you read Matthew 24, the reality of Yeshua's words are our life and world today. We are about as close of a generation as has existed to what the second generation of the nation of Israel, standing at the cusps, claiming the promises of God can possibly be today. And it is important that you and I awaiting the promises of Messiah, the true eternal promises to be fulfilled, that we recognize that it's not just about you and I. It's not just about the fact that we have accepted the salvation that comes through Yeshua, but that we see our children and our children's children our children's children's children walk and as many generations there are till he returns walk in the faith of Messiah and it doesn't just come from us speaking it into their lives or talking about it or reading the Bible to it to them we have to model discipleship we have to live it out for them to see and it's in that that the world around us will see the promises of God revealed and come to know the salvation that is available in Messiah Yeshua. We have spent far too long in the modern body of Messiah trying to preach people into salvation, trying to evangelize people into salvation, while at the same time those that are preaching and evangelizing are living the exact same wrecked, dirty, despicable lives as everyone they're preaching to. How about we finally wise up and live a life in order with God's will and his word so that the world will truly see him in us before they hear us talk about him. Because just as Moses tells Israel in Parshavet Hanan that the Lord spoke with them face to face, panim el panim, he speaks to you and I in the same way today. And we must truly walk in the reality of the image and likeness of God that we've been recreated in so that the world sees him in us before they ever hear us talk about him out of our faces. Because it wasn't that long ago that there were hundreds of well-known pastors and evangelists that were busted in the Ashley Madison scandal. Many of whom 
preached day in and day out against homosexuality, against adultery, against abortion, against all of this stuff that we talk about. At the same time, they were living the same wretched lives as those that they were condemning. Does that sound like loving your neighbor as yourselves? Does that sound like walking in the love of God? We are the generation arising to walk in and claim the promise of God in the true promised land. Heaven and the new heaven, new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. And it's time that we become that generation that has only ever known the divine work of God and walk in faithfulness in it so that both our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our enemies will come to know the reality of Messiah because he is real and tangible in our lives. And I believe that that is the overarching message of Vayachanan, to walk faithfully in relationship with a God who is personal, who loves us, who cherishes relationship with us, and who has literally given everything for us. Amen? Abarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks fervently into our lives today. And we ask you, Lord, to open our ears up to hear and receive your words as you do. Father, I pray that you will boldly use us for your purposes, that you will continue to mold us into what you desire for us to be for the good of your message, the good of your salvation, the good of your kingdom going forth. And use us to see many lives come to your amazing salvation. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.